guys, you're listening to the Clean Fashion Podcast by Kalechi, where we invite the hidden voices that make fashion work. We explore the full fashion supply chain, piecing together concepts and ideas beyond the aesthetics that we see and discovering how multidisciplinary fashion really is by merging unrelated worlds together. We discuss and uncover the world of the people and processes behind some of the biggest movements in fashion, some that get attention and others that don't, but should. Each episode explores one of the four topics within the clean fashion cycle, sourcing, making, the media and the afterlife. I'm Rihanna. I'm here with my co-host, Armina. Hi, I'm Armina. I'm a junior writer for Kalechi and I am super excited to be working on the podcast, ready to discuss all things clean fashion and interview brilliant minds. On today's episode, we talked to Cassie Quinn about her research focused on inflexuation. Hello, Cassie. How are Hi, you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm excited to talk to you about your research and just your thoughts on fashion and making fashion better in general and just everything surrounding that. So today I'm going to start off with this question about greenwashing. What do you think is the most shocking claim that has been made about greenwashing that you've heard recently? I think a really frustrating thing in greenwashing of fashion is this term of biodegradability. There's some materials that claim to be biodegradable, but they don't specify how long it takes for those things to biodegrade. So they could technically take 200 years and they can still right biodegradability and that's just down to the fact that there's no proper legislature around how you use terms and how you use words. Recently I saw another shocking sort of labelling, mislabeling on uh, Zalando's website that listed Adidas tracksuit bottoms as sustainable. <laughs> when li- they were made from polyester, Literally. they weren't even recycled and even on Adidas' own website they don't list them as sustainable but they can do that because it's their own claims for their yeah. own website and there's no laws around how these words are used. So yeah, for me, I think words are so powerful, they're really important, but how we use them is really crucial. And in fashion, to greenwash and just to make those sales for sustainable customers is really damaging. I think the troublesome thing of that is as well, like, is the consumer responsibility to like actually care about the research done in the products you buy. But like lots of people don't really search for the things Mm -hmm. that they're trying to like actually consume yeah which is the issue as well exactly and I feel like with my work especially I always try and you know you have to think of the lowest common denominator so who is the person who's not going to research they're not going to be necessarily even aware or interested in sustainability how can we make sure that they're getting the right information which is really important I think just to add to that is that I think a significant thing is that even when people are trying to improve they don't necessarily have enough knowledge and so for their own conscience if something has greenwashing labels that they are so unaware of it's okay for them to buy those things because it's like yeah I'm doing my part I'm helping the earth in the way that I can but still consuming fast fashion and still doing things like that. I feel like a lot of the time as well people are quite aware of there being a crisis in the climate and in the environment right now but like lots of people just don't know where to look Mm -hmm. what they can do themselves about it. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering for yourself, how did you take action or like when did you decide to take action or like 
What was your thinking around that? It was actually during my second year, my bachelor's degree, which was in fashion textiles. Mm -hmm. And we done a module called fast fashion. Mm. And that really started my interest into what does this mean and how does this fit into what we're moving towards and started to find a lot of research on waste issues and the fact that fashion is the second biggest polluter and just started to do my own research and then really found that it was really not just interesting but important to use my creative output for something that could be of benefit and of good so I actually started off more conceptual doing projects that were the first one was called Fossilastic and it was about this idea that we'll be fossilised in our own plastic waste but ironically I was using plastic to demonstrate that so Mm -hmm. I thought that's not that doesn't make sense I need to move towards some natural fibres natural pigments and started that research and then started to find out about these innovative fibres Mm. Um, and how you could make things from seaweed, from mushrooms and really got interested in this sort of innovative materials sector and then started my master's and then founded my company CQ Studio. Did you already know about the, like, are these materials that you learned about on your course? How did you find out about all these things? No, it was literally like a thing that I called going down a Wikipedia hole where you just start clicking on things and then they lead you to something else and you click yeah. on things. Uh, it was really just a discovery of just being really interested on what is new and what's innovative and, you know, what's the up and coming trends. But then f- realised that there was this massive topic of sustainability that was super important. So it started off as just interested in what should we be moving towards? What's the next? best thing what's the next trend and then starting to understand oh it's not a trend it's something really crucial and really important that we hope that the whole world needs to shift towards which is this focus on sustainability being greener and just a better approach to the materials we use and how we consume Mm. so how do you think it will improve the industry like what impact will researching these materials and like using these materials will make on the industry i think we need to move towards materials that obviously not only are circular but regenerative yeah so we can rebuild nutrients that we've lost in our soil in the waterways in the air and i think most importantly alongside the development of these new materials that will obviously have better impacts in terms of things not going to landfill and sitting there for thousands of years we're starting to see consumers really understand what goes into making their clothes and what you know the amount of manpower to grow fibres the amount of people that are involved to make a t-shirt all these processes that you know really show that it's shocking that a t-shirt could cost a pound you know I think that the education around our consumption Mm. how how much we consume that's more going to be game changing than necessarily the materials themselves Yeah, it's the sort of combination of the mindset change with these innovative new materials I was just wondering um, you know how you were discussing how the different materials you looked at like mushrooms and stuff what made you concentrate on using flax so flax is one material that I, I, I use the reason why I focused on that that was my master's thesis was I started to look at my own heritage which always feeds into my projects um, and I'm Irish and Chinese and I was looking at the flax industry and like fashion industries that existed in Ireland and flax used to be massively popular it was known to be grown in Ireland and then it started to die out and I really wanted to understand why that happened um, when we talk about what's going to bring us into the future and become more sustainable sometimes we forget about what already exists and how can we reinvent that you know flax we've grown it for so many years it doesn't make sense to just put that aside and focus on new materials only and so that's what my interest really um, 
with flax came from, that it was this heritage plant from where I'm from. But also it is, it's always been known as the most sustainable fibre. And I was just interested, how can we use new technologies to reinvent it and show that there's more value in flax than what we know it as just being linen? Yeah, that's very interesting and very true, I'd say. Um, I think with modern technology and everything people are always trying to find something new but sometimes it's not it's not the most important thing to find something new it's about making something that we already have even better exactly that's what i find really interesting is how can we continue to push things you know when you're experimenting it's about trying new approaches to the one thing rather than just trying lots of different things out. With that collection that I created, uh, I really, well, hopefully, uh, was able to demonstrate that you can do a lot with one crop and it's by looking at the waste materials that come from that processing. How can mm-hmm. we use those materials? You know, they're a valuable resource. That's the way I look at it, even from aside from the sustainability factors from an economic sense mm. these are valuable resources it's you know those wooden the, it's called the shivs which are like the wooden outer core they can be used they're a material it's valuable our ancestors would not have just thrown things away yeah. everything would have been reused so it's kind of looking back to look forward that's what I really like about your research and your creations that like you know you use traditional methods to push us forward mm-hmm. and I feel like there is a lot to be said about like how old methods we use in textile creation can like yeah like flax can draw so much into the fashion industry because it's so versatile and I think mm-hmm. that's like especially like very evident from your project mm-hmm. as well and like lots can be said about that yeah yeah and also what was really interesting about flax is when I started to look at the processing involved in how you extract the fiber mm. it's a very hands-on process yeah. like you're constantly having to break things apart you're like you're basically snapping the woody outer core yeah. and removing that but because you're using your hands so much and you're so directly involved with the material it gives you a better appreciation for the material exactly like it's I very immersive that, yeah exactly immersive is the perfect word and mm. I think that that's so important when we're trying to educate around materials and general yeah. you know about why they're important and why we need to reconsider what we use every day and yeah. um, when you're that involved with it you do have a, a closer connection flax kind of like transforms the industry into this thing where you have to be like really slow and like mm-hmm. connecting back to it mm-hmm. rather than like having a very rushed fast process with things as well and that would definitely like improve the industry yeah. And, the, you know, it's interesting because I'm taking this project a little bit further again. I read this book by this guy called Robert McFarlane mm-hmm. called Landmarks. And it's quite interesting because he's essentially saying that there's lots of words from Old English and Old Gaelic that we no longer use because we've transitioned from living in the countryside to living in cities. Yeah. So, you know, there's a word for it when the river meets the faucet of a mountain. I don't even know if that makes sense. But, you know, very specific words. And so I'm wanting to explore how our language is changing Mm. the more we move towards digital technological future Mm. and we're missing out on our connection with nature and Mm. how things like flax and just even textile processes where you're tangibly working with your hands, how that can actually bring us that closer connection to plants, nature, living things that are around us. Oh, that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder like how many words have like, you know, been made redundant by like living in the city. Mm-hmm. I just want to ask, actually, you know how you're talking about how flax is something that's very hands on and mm-hmm. the process. I'm guessing that this process is something 
I feel like with sustainable products, the process tends to be longer mm-hmm. and it's not something you can do necessarily on a mass scale. So do you think it's something that is feasible for the population of, of the earth is massive? And there's a reason why we have moved into fast fashion and the way we do things as unethical as it is. Mm-hmm. Do you think the move to sustainability is something that's feasible? That's exactly why I want to focus on flax because we've been developing it for generations so it actually is at the stage where you can uh, have it at a larger scale uh, the one reason why it's sort of declined is because of one waste component that's difficult to manage and that's the wastewater mm. and I'm actually starting uh, a potential PhD in this actual research using a living organism that I can't disclose just yet oh. but looking at how we can reuse that water to grow new materials as well as continuing to use flax so you're basically merging two different systems together but yeah in terms of any other materials it's for me I think it need, it's not about one hero material it's about lots of hero materials because how we've got in this situation is the like the mass of polyester and cotton it's these monocultures that it's what is killing our planet and really killing biodiversity having all of these incredible new materials and innovations is what's going to help us it forward to that sustainable future and in terms of like when you're working with manufacturers I've encountered it recently that it's quite tricky Mm. Um, manufacturers have equipment that's worth like half a million pounds and I've you know asked oh are you willing to prototype and develop this research and they're like no because our insurance won't cover it and if we break that machine we're, we're left with nothing we're, we're, like our business is done so it does take finding the right kind of grants for that R&D mm. the right kind of factories that are willing to work with you but it's definitely feasible it's just it's not going to happen as quickly as it would be necessary really yeah that is quite unfortunate like all the work and like all the investments you have to make to make stuff mm-hmm. sustainable I think that's the most difficult thing about the process also to go back to what you were saying about biodegradability being like a big element of how people greenwash to like majority of consumers how do you make sure that something like flax is biodegradable and you're actually being sincere about what biodegradability mm-hmm. means. Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, having the right certifications and yeah. testing. I've recently just sent away some of my materials to be tested so that we know exactly their durability and their biodegradability. The good thing, again, working with flax is that it's already at an industry standard that we are aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know it's a very strong fibre. It's just about having the right certifications and the right companies that are showing that you're doing your best. That's one thing that consumers should always be wary of is if there's a claim in any sort of way that doesn't have any sort of backup, like you know, some sort of company to say this is certified, yeah. that's when to be cautious. But it's tricky because some places make it look legitimate by having Mm. their own logo and say oh it's certified by us it's like but who are you exactly like there's no scientific research to like actually back it up exactly yeah Yeah, I'm trying to do a video of our material actually like a time lapse Mm. of it biodegrading in soil so that it's a lot more visual and it's it's easier to understand but communication with the field of uh, sustainability is so tricky to get right so you don't greenwash or don't appear like you're greenwashing because even if you're doing the right thing sometimes you might get put into the category as doing the wrong thing and I think also with biodegradability I think more knowledge needs to be said when there's products which are sold as biodegradable because for example if you put that stuff into landfill 
I mean, there's no oxygen. It's not going to biodegrade. So I feel like that is something that that consumers need to be educated on. And uh, so I feel like it would be good for people to start taking responsibility, having their own compost, maybe. I know it's not feasible for everyone, but maybe as even a council scheme or something like that, where you can take your products that are biodegradable so that we are doing this successfully. What's really interesting is that biodegradable bags, carrier bags, even though they're biodegradable, when they go through the processing, they put them in the bin right away because they don't physically have the time and capacity to check every single bag that it's biodegradable. So it's easier for them for it not to get caught in their machines to just put it in landfill. As consumers, you aren't aware and you think you're buying a bag that says compostable, but unless you're physically putting it in your compost heap, it's likely not going to it's not going to be of benefit. Oh my God. That's like a whole incentive to actually go to shops and purchase those bags like for 20p Mm -hmm. and to only know that they're like essentially selling you a lie. But it's not very surprising, which is unfortunate. And that's the thing Mm -hmm. about the industry. They're not really surprised when they're like being deceiving. And I wish there was a way in which we can transform that. And I feel like research and work that you do could also help us do that. People making these bags aren't talking to recycling facilities to really explain what is necessary. Maybe there needs to be a separate bin for these specific products and collection dates or drop-off points. For example, I was going to buy these mop heads Mm -hmm. and the only recycling drop-off points are outside of London. So it's like, think of the density of London and you can't even drop it off somewhere here. Exactly. So, you know, it's it's the scalability of how you can then remove and disco- dispose of your products properly. And actually discussing education, Cassie, you do workshops. And mm-hmm. I was just wondering, it says that you have different levels of workshops and also what do you teach and like, why does it differ? How does it differ depending on what you're teaching? I run workshops really using textile processes as a tool to really engage and have participants think critically. So examples of workshops are natural dye screen printing, using biosequins and embroidery techniques to mend or to update garments, also recycled materials, biomaterials. And the really, it, it just, it varies in the age range. And I work with school kids. I just ran a, a master's seminar on Friday. And it just depends on how far we're going to push their thinking and what methodologies we're going to incorporate into the workshops so sometimes it'll be focused on regenerative design and systems thinking or for the younger groups it might just be here's some facts around waste and fashion how can we communicate these through screen printing and so we make stencils and we try and use that as a tool to educate and to share knowledge Um, but most importantly it really is to try and get people to think critically and start to question what they're told to open them up to some of these these facts and figures around fashion and sustainability and what does this mean yeah I think it's really really cool that you guys do that I feel like it's something that maybe it's lacking in Mm. the fashion world and knowledge is power so I feel like it's really cool that you guys do that I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily you know fashion designers even sustainable fashion designers they don't necessarily focus on educating others it's more about focusing on what on, on people who already know what they're talking about so I really really appreciate that you help educate everyone and you're not like gatekeeping the whole process of unlearning toxic 
fashion culture. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's so important. It's really built into like one of our pillars of what we do is just as important to make materials as it is to educate because yeah. it's it's crucial that we all understand. And things change so quickly. It's not that long ago when plastic bags were invented to stop deforestation. So how can we make sure that the conversation's continually happening? And I know that a lot of people, I know some of my friends, think that because they're not working in fashion, that they've no relevance to get involved in this kind mm. of topic. Whereas I think everyone has a voice. If you're a consumer, if you're a human on this planet, you have a voice to say in, you know, the waste that's being created. So it's just a chance for people to, in a relaxed setting, get involved and learn something new. Concerning how things change so quickly, can you preempt what the future of the materials you use, especially flax, would look like? Yeah, I mean, I would love to be able to scale that up. Um, not massively, but just a little bit so I can see them in action and use for, mm-hmm. you know, some brands and designers. And um, just recently we've worked with a few brands we can't speak of yet, but I just want, yeah, that to continue. And I want to watch other people try and use my materials in a different way, you know, to continue manipulating and experimenting yeah. and taking them further. But in the future, I mean, I'm always trying to think of unintended consequences. I think that that's super important is how can we, you know, stop making the same pitfalls that we have before? So I'm just hopeful that alongside all these new materials, we're aware of, you know, certain biases like moral licensing. Mm. So moral licensing is this concept that um, the easier you make it to recycle, the guilt actually goes down in us, like psychologically. So then you consume more. And that's a really dangerous thing. We yeah. don't want to end up where we think because they're biodegradable and they're recycled that we can just continue to consume, consume, consume. But I think that comes down to inherent issues in society more so than yeah. anything to do with fashion strictly. But yeah, I just hope that fashion can be a bit more fun again. Because of these massive issues, it has gotten very serious, which is important, of course, but it can be such a useful tool for expression and creativity, but we just need to have a better attitude with it. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said when it comes to consuming things. And that's also something that needs to be tackled when we're considering the future of any product we develop. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really cool that you think so positively about everything that you're doing. You're actually making the effort. Moral licensing should be a thing that people care enough to make an effort to be moral when Mm -hmm. they're pushing a product. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I just feel like it's quite unfair that fashion is a way in which we express ourselves and have fun. Like, it's not that kind of thing anymore. Mm -hmm. It's been taken away by fast fashion. Yeah. So... Hopefully it is reinstilled by the work that you do. Well, I think as well, you've got to stay positive. All of my projects, I just am obsessed with waste because mm. it's not waste. It's a resource. It's something that you can be that can be used for something else. So I just find it so interesting that, you know, it's like when you see the first people to kind of realise that coffee grounds, the you know, the coffee grounds that aren't used can be used for bioenergy and it's like but of course I mean like when you see that amount of one material or one product being thrown away it's I'm just always like what could we do with that? I just want to quickly say about how dyes especially that's a big conversation that people kind of underestimate mm-hmm. because it's just the colour of your clothes. There's lots of toxicity mm-hmm. with that that comes with dyes especially in like how it affects the skin as mm-hmm. well and like I feel like lots of designers need to be thinking more about that and address that in the production of their clothes and also like you know natural dyeing can be a very immersive process like lots of people can just do it in their homes I see a lot of people get onion skins boil them and make their own dyes at home and it's like a good way to start like it really Mm -hmm. is just a 
just a thing that you can start from home. I imagine that you yeah. maybe started from home. I mean, well. even, you know, I think that what's really interesting about dyes, and this is why I'd, I always start off with the natural dye screen printing, is mm. you don't realise, I mean, everything I'm wearing today is probably most likely dyed with synthetic dyes. Mm. And that's so highly toxic. So even if your top is made from cotton, you use synthetic dyes, it's going to be harmful to the soil. Yeah, yeah, I was literally about to say the exact same thing. Yeah, Companies will focus on one thing, that's cotton. It's like, but what's it dyed with? Because now you can't put it in the compost tape. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Even this podcast that we focus on the supply chain, it's, it's every single stage mm-hmm. that needs to be sustainable. It's not mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. focusing on one thing. And that's what I love about your company is you're focusing on so many things and you're educating and then you're focusing on dyeing and you're focusing on the material and... I think those are all really significant things to improving the fashion industry. And if if more people are like you, then we'll hopefully in five years and 10 years be making significant improvements in the mass market. Yeah, I think one thing that's really important as well is like to actually be able to make a business out of it because mm. I know, fine rightly, there's people out there that probably have better ideas than I do. I mean, likely, but because it's such a struggle to actually try and make money from this type of industry when you're small, that that can put people off. So, yeah, I always think that that's the biggest struggle. How to fund yeah. your actual craft Work. and yeah. like creation. Like yeah. when it's when it's like, you know, made for good. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like that's a very frustrating thing for beginners, especially mm-hmm. because like you've done so much research and you know it does come with time, especially in slow fashion, like... How do you invest your energy into like a project? Mm -hmm. But you know it's worthwhile to invest as well. Yeah, I think that's definitely one thing I know about anyone that I know in this type of field is everyone's overworked because they care so much. Yeah. Like I really don't think I've ever met someone who's like, oh, I'm just doing it for the glory or for the money. And that's really hard. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that that's that's something that's really not talked about enough is usually people that are car and that are activists and that are really fighting to try and do good usually are the people most exhausted and trying to do everything basically. I think a significant thing would be to be able to persuade big companies to make that change and to actually care. Um, but the problem is, is that these companies are driven by money, and unfortunately, right now, sustainability isn't the way to get to get that money. So, if we're able to persuade and change the minds of big companies and corporations, then I think we'll make significant improvements. And I think it's so difficult with big companies because usually you've got like their CFO who has only worked on finance, only cares about numbers and mm. looks binary on a page as, oh, we've dropped 3% instead of thinking of the bigger picture, which is you might drop 3% this year, but you'll gain so much more from adopting better practices because people will care about this. Um, but yeah, it's so difficult when you've got people who work with the numbers, who only work with numbers. That makes everything like really hard. <laughs> but I think that's why we're trying to trans- transform the world through clean fashion and repurposing waste and like looking to traditional methods to make fashion new again and Mm -hmm. clean again and yeah I'm very thankful that we have people like you to introduce us to (laughs) methods into how to do this thank you for joining us today Cassie we're looking forward to seeing more of your projects and more of your work this has been the clean fashion podcast with Kalechi thank you so much Hi guys and welcome to the reflection section part of the podcast where we discuss all the takeaways that we found interesting and things that really excited us from today's episode. I'm joined by the Collective team. Hi, I'm Rihanna. 
I'm Tilda. And I'm Amina. What did you find interesting about what Cassie had to say today? I really liked how Cassie's very passionate and optimistic about the future of fashion and how it directly links with flags. What I like especially about that is that it's very tied to tradition and also her upbringing as an Irish Chinese person and how who you are and who we've been can propel who we will be in the future. I really like that idea. I think it's very beautiful. So mm, I agree too. And I really enjoyed her perspective that we have solutions already mm-hmm. and it's just about adapting those to fit where we are in our mission and making things more sustainable and I think her process working with flax is really key mm-hmm. um, to showing that those materials can be used and you know we just have to work hard and it's not all about the new so I thought that was a really good point that she had. I think clean fashion and activism they kind of like go hand in hand like you can't really have one without the other and she sounds really knowledgeable passionate like I believe that she will be able to mobilize people and she has mobilized people into action and that's just what we need to see more of activists going into fashion to change it because it is political at the end of the day. Also everyone actually If you could think of maybe, I feel like Cassie's actually kind of inspired my thinking on how we look at different things and different materials that we use, like she was saying, with the coffee grinds, those don't have to be waste. So do you think there's any materials that you have in your everyday life that you could look at and be like, hmm, I could use that for something else and it doesn't have to be thrown away or wasted? Mm. Probably like the waste of like vegetables and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say that. I don't know, like, yeah. this, you know, like yeah. if you're peeling a potato or, I don't know, orange skin. Mm. Yesterday I learned that orange skin is like a natural like, antibacterial. Like some people put it in soaps and like or, like yeah. to use as a soap. Yeah, and citrus. Oh, really? um, yeah. You can use, some people use instead of deodorant, they use just lemon juice. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I did not know. Um, does it burn if you if you've just shaved? Maybe, 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 <laughs> maybe you should test it out for us. I feel like it'd burn if you use lemon juice after you just shaved. <laughs> I feel like a lot of that is kind of used in beauty products and stuff like that. They've really tapped into using fruits and vegetables kind of for mm. like their antioxidants and like those types of properties. So yeah, well, they would yeah. have been the original like beauty products before. That were yeah. beauty products. It's true, actually. <laughs> I guess. That's true. That is true. Same with medicine, <laughs> everything, I suppose. Yeah, like how, how you can use beetroot for like blush and, mm-hmm. and lip and lip gloss. Not lip gloss, lip stain. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like any other material that we could possibly use apart from like, you know, food. Paper, obviously. There's lots you can do with paper. Like I've seen like lots of people, especially on TikTok, that actually recycle paper and like make like books and like different sorts yeah, of paper. Yeah, I've seen loads of those too. Yeah, th- that's pretty cool. Yeah, it'd be probably better, like, you know, after school everyone burns their books. Yeah. It's probably way better to like make pulpy paper. Exactly. Less satisfying family. though, I think. Yeah, a lot yeah, less, less satisfying. <laughs> yeah, a lot less cathartic. Yeah, no. <laughs> the end of A-level, that was everyone's goal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like write stuff on people's t-shirts, you know. We were all thinking like very fashion forward back then, but like, you know... We also weren't with the paper stuff. Like I don't know. That wasn't very sustainable of us, but who could have known back then? I think there's lots to be said about that as well. Yeah. And I, um, I think like nettles making a comeback as well. I think Ooh. nettle fibres back in the day, you were used a lot in Britain along with flax 
to make like shirts, table. I think more like tablecloths and like kitchen cloth, if you know what I mean. Are nettles the one that cause like? Yeah, so yeah, nettles are the ones that sting. But if you cook it, obviously it loses its sting. You can make nettle soup, nettle cake. Like it used to be things that people ate, but it's just gone out of fashion. Oh wow! Now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what were you saying, Armin? I'm sorry. I was just saying, yeah, no, it's a, a very abundant plant, weed. Yeah, I guess it's like what we consider a, a weed. It's just something that we've forgotten their uses. Because back in the day, we would use dandelions, we used nettles, we used flax. Whereas yeah. now it's kind of considered a weed because we've forgotten what use they had to us. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. interesting what we think of as weeds or not weeds. That's true. I think it would be nice to kind of revive them mm, and, and find their uses again. And additional uses that maybe we didn't know they had before. Yeah, mm. for sure. What it's all about really, kind of pushing ourselves to look at things differently so that we can use them better. I don't think we use a lot of our resources well. Yeah. Which is a big part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we live in a society where waste is normal. And it's accepted. Whereas I think maybe if we were, because I think because we have so many things in abundance, people aren't really necessarily grateful for the things they have. Mm -hmm. And it's very disposable for us. But if we change our mindset and really appreciate the things we do have, then we can change. I guess it's like the whole culture of convenience, isn't it? Like Mm -hmm. as soon as we had the convenience shop, the everything being like one click away immediate immediate yeah, yeah. immediate grat- gratification yeah so now like all those other processes they take time but they're more sustainable and the product's probably better in the end yeah but we've just been hooked onto this convenience culture i suppose i think i also really liked again kind of Amna, what you were saying that she does the workshops and keeps that kind of work back into the community to educate people has anyone done any workshops? Like, how did we all kind of start our own journeys in trying to be more sustainable and learning about it? I think for me, it came from like school, doing textiles at school. And part of the curriculum, I guess, was to research into different materials and research into cis, like more clean, clean fashion. So I, I would say that's where it started. And and then you learn things that you didn't necessarily know. And because it started from a young age, I mean, for example, I started textiles when I was in year seven. And then it, it goes up until however old and I did it in my A-levels. So the more you learn, the more interesting it is and the more you want to know and the more you want to change. And you'll find yourself, I think, I don't think I'm the only one who would say that, where you're trying to tell people around you who don't necessarily learn those subjects, this is not great for the environment and we should probably change this. So I would say that's where I've learned most of my things from. I think for me, like it started with going to Lush and like being like, <laughs> oh my God, like I really like this bath bomb. And then that turned into perfumes and it turned into like the face creams and everything. And then like, you know, obviously Lush is like known for like how intense the customer service is. I used to be like very <laughs> into it and like have the people like talk to me for like ages. I was like really immersed in like the conversations that they were having. I learned a lot about like where they source their products from and like how kind of like they kind of just made like being sustainable seem really easy very like worthwhile and I don't know I was just like so invested in that type of 
product that could exist as like you know a really beautifully smelling product because like smell is a very big thing for me well I think my interest came from my mum's always been a quilter she's always like around the house when I was younger like most of the soft furnishings like she's made so I've always been around like making in that way and then I did textiles GCSE my sister did textiles GCSE so we've all been quite like a textiles family I guess and my grandma's well into knitting and stuff like that yeah, I think it just, you pick it up, don't you, without realising. Yeah, there's lots of these things that start from home. Like, I, I always forget about, like, knitting and then, like, because I've always had the skill, well, I've n- not always had the skill, but I learned it randomly, like, when I was 10 and, like, you know, now it's, like, becoming popular again and, like, I'm also learning to crochet. I love that these, like, you know, like, home activities have yeah. become, like, so popular again, especially after, like, um, since the pandemic as well. Yeah, because knitting did go out of fashion quite badly, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I remember at one point I used to be embarrassed that my mum knitted. Yeah. And I used to be like, she used to take it out on the bus wherever she was or the tube. She's like, mum, put it away, put it away. <laughs> now I'm like, yes, mum, you crochet that, you knit. Now it's cool, like, yeah. I've definitely, like, grown to respect the art form a lot more as I've got older, for sure. Yeah. I find it so funny how like a couple of us did textiles as like a GCSE and I remember when I picked it and lots of people were like are you just gonna sit and knit <laughs> no but yeah it's yeah. really interesting how we kind of all all start our journeys differently I was gonna say there's definitely like a stigma against art forms which are passed down generationally through mothers yeah. and grandmothers like there seems to be more of a mainstream idea that it's not as innovative not as this or that modern yeah. or useful than all these other maybe male dominated art forms exactly um that's and that's why it's just made me more passionate about it because it's just like actually and it just it just proves yeah like creativity is political because yeah, like exactly yeah so gotta support it it's actually been really nice to hear everyone's takeaways from today's episode and kind of what we've all learned and how we're now pushing into different parts of conversations and we can change our lives as well and start to implement small changes. Because I feel like the small changes are what's important to make a bigger impact rather than just one person doing it by themselves. But thank you everybody for tuning into this episode. It's been really nice to have this conversation and we hope you tune into the next one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.